Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us for an SG Engage podcast. My name is Sally Ehrenfried, and I lead government relations for BlackBod. Today, joining me is Brian Flavin, who is the VP for Strategic Partnerships for CASE. And Brian and I are going to take a few minutes of your time to discuss a look ahead for public policy for nonprofit organizations for 2022. And with that, I will have Brian introduce himself to the group. Thanks, Sally. It's great to be with you. And as you said, I'm uh, the Vice President for Strategic Partnerships at the Council for Advancement and Support of Education, or CASE. So CASE is the global association representing alumni relations, communications, marketing, advancement services, and development professionals at colleges, universities, and private K-12 independent schools. Uh, In my role, I oversee CASE's global advocacy agenda and including our U.S. legislative agenda and priorities. So it's great to be with you uh, to discuss that. But I also have a secondary role, which is I have the privilege of serving as chair of the Charitable Giving Coalition, a coalition of charitable and faith-based associations and organizations dedicated to preserving and expanding the charitable tax deduction. A coalition that was formed in 2008 in response to an effort by, at that time, uh, the Obama administration to limit the value of itemized deductions, including the charitable deduction, which would have increased the cost of giving for a number of donors and taxpayers. And so from our perspective, really wanted to rally the sector to come together uh, and preserve the deduction and preserve that incentive for individuals to give. And many sector organizations are a part of the coalition, including Blackbaud, uh, including Case, of course, and also United Way Worldwide, American Red Cross, Jewish Federations of North America, the Faith and Giving Coalition, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, I could go on and on. Lots of great organizations are a part of the Charitable Giving Coalition. And uh, we are, were ultimately successful back in 2008 and beyond in, making, in, in advocating against limiting the deduction. So the deduction retains its full value today and have since that time been working to preserve and expand the deduction uh, as a coalition. So again, it's just great to be with you, Sally. Great. Thanks, Brian. And that is... And your introduction really does help us set the stage for our conversation. And one thing I'd like us to talk about today is that we see all of the all the data points around giving. And we know that giving by individuals makes up about 69% or about $324 billion of annual charitable giving. And this comes to us from Giving USA's most recent annual report of of philanthropy. And yet over the last three to four years, we have seen changes to the tax policy and tax code that impact uh, individual individual giving, in particular, 2017 tax reform and giving incentives coming out of 2020 and 2021 with the CARES Act and also the extensions of these provisions. Can you elaborate for our listeners what these changes are and how they have impacted charitable giving in the U.S.? Sure. And I think any conversation about how charitable giving has been impacted over the past few years starts, of course, with the tax law you referenced, which is the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was the Republican tax reform bill that was passed, a comprehensive tax reform bill that was passed back in late 2017. And, you know, overall, the headlines from the, the what we call, at least inside the Beltway, the TCJA for short, lowered the marginal tax rates for individuals, significantly cut the corporate tax rate, which got a lot of the headlines, of course, but also doubled the standard deduction. Uh, it made a variety of other major changes to the tax code. 
Interestingly, while the tax bill did limit a number of tax deductions, including a state and local tax deduction and the mortgage interest deduction, Republicans and those uh, who uh, really put the bill together ended up not directly limiting the charitable deduction, which was good news uh, in terms of, I think, a lot of the groundwork that was made by the coalition and others over the years to talk about how limiting the deduction would be problematic. However, the doubling of the standard deduction, which was really meant, uh, the focus of the policy was about trying to simplify the tax code for American taxpayers, had the unintended consequence by doubling the standard deduction meant that we went from a world of 30% of Americans who are itemizing their tax returns to today it's closer to 11%. Of Americans who itemize their tax returns. And why does that matter for charitable giving? Well, in terms of the charitable deduction, the only way that you can benefit from the charitable deduction is if you itemize your tax returns. Uh, you can That's the only way that you can deduct your gifts. At least it was the only way you could deduct your gifts back when the tax reform bill was passed. And so there was a lot of concern uh, about what that would do to giving. And in fact, during the debate itself, the Charitable Giving Coalition pointed to studies a variety of different studies that showed that giving would decline if the bill was passed without doing something about what the doubling of the standard deduction would do, that kind of unintended consequence. We did advocate strongly for an inclusion of a charitable deduction for non-itemizers, what we like to call a universal charitable deduction uh, during tax reform. Uh, That proposal would ensure that not only the 20% of American taxpayers who are going from itemizing to non-itemizing status would then have a deduction, but also would expand the deduction beyond that to all taxpayers, um, something we certainly all supported and think it's important to have it in giving incentive for all taxpayers. But unfortunately, despite a lot of that advocacy, we're unsuccessful in getting that in the tax reform bill. So we, we have some data now between the passage of the tax reform bill and our current, the current uh, state of affairs that tells us kind of what happened with that. So while in calendar year 2018, uh, according to Giving USA, which is, you know, is the main source of overall giving data and information in the U.S. Uh, to the charitable sector as a whole, we saw a 1.7% decline in total giving adjusted for inflation, including a decline in giving by individuals of 3.4% adjusted for inflation. And that's at a time when you saw GDP growth and economic growth at about 5.2%. It was a pretty high economic growth time, uh, which one of the arguments that we heard a lot on the Hill was that charitable giving follows the economy and the stock market, which is true to a lot of extent. But you could see that there was a little bit of distance happening post the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, particularly with individual giving and um, how it was faring compared to how the overall economy was faring. So that was certainly a cause for concern. In 2019, giving did rebound a bit. It was up about 2.4% total adjusted for inflation for individual giving is up 2.8%. But we also had a year of another 4% growth in GDP, so still lagging economic growth. It should have from, you know, basically should have been a lot higher than it was. Um, so during this time, the Charitable Giving Coalition really continued to advocate and build support for a charitable deduction for non-itemizers and had bipartisan proposals introduced on both sides of the aisle. Then, of course, you have the pandemic hit, and then you have a whole other set of factors that now come in. Of course, the factor of when you have an economic, potential economic downturn, giving tends to go down. You also had a crisis moment, in a sense, or a moment uh, with the pandemic where there's all the automatic American sense of we have to give during these times of challenge. So you had both of those trends hitting at the same time. There was a lot of concern when the pandemic started about what that would do to giving, And uh, when Congress was assembling legislation, pandemic relief legislation, we were fortunate that they included the universal charitable deduction, a temporary charitable deduction for non-itemizers as a part of the CARES Act, which was one of the first major tranches of pandemic relief legislation. So that included a $300 deduction um, for non-itemizers. The first time we've had a deduction for non-itemizers in this country since a very short period in in the early 80s when there was one. 
then all American taxpayers at that point had an opportunity to deduct charitable gifts. Now, at the end of that calendar year, Congress uh, actually expanded it slightly. It's very modest uh, charitable deduct, uh, charitable deducts for non-itemizers, but they allowed joint filers to deduct up to six hundred dollars through calendar year twenty twenty one. Um, and what we saw was, you know, a giving increase during the pandemic, again, for some of the trends related to some of the trends that we talked about, uh, and it also increased for individuals. And what we've seen from uh, other studies, in addition to Giving USA, we look at uh, the Association of Fundraising Professionals Fundraising Effectiveness Project, you know, there's definitely been an increase in giving. And if you look at gifts actually of $300 in 2020, uh, there was a 28% increase in gifts of $300 on December 31st in 2020, which again shows you that the impact of having that that charitable deduction for non-itemizers, that universal deduction in the code. So uh, our current state, which I know we're going to get into in a second, is we're going to be talking about how we can get this back into, back into law. But that hopefully gives you a sense of kind of what we've seen in terms of charitable giving uh, in the last four or five years. Great. That is that is a you know a great way to set the stage for this conversation and, and to move forward and what we're going to see in 2022. A lot has been made, at least for those of us in philanthropic circles, about the fact that, you know, giving by individuals is remaining relatively steady in terms of dollars, at least dollars given, and the percent of total giving in the U.S. However, what we're seeing is that we're seeing fewer donors actually making these charitable gifts. And I know we've touched a little bit on, you know, the non-itemizer deduction or the universal charitable deduction. So why don't we dive a little deeper now into the legislation that's currently being proposed to reinstate this this deduction and what it might do to encourage charitable giving and how and how the charitable giving coalition is involved in this work. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I share the concern that you that you share, and I think it's broadly shared across the charitable sector of the decline in the number of donors. I mean, it's it's wonderful that giving total giving is continues to rise and increase, and that's a good thing, of course. But it is problematic to start seeing the share of donors across. And this has been actually was a trend that was happening pre-pandemic. So it's not related to the pandemic. Frankly, it was happening to an extent uh, before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act probably has accelerated a bit since that because of the changes of, to the standard deduction, as we talked about. So, I mean, the Charitable Giving Coalition's support for the universal charitable deduction speaks directly to this point, that we think there should be a charitable giving incentive for all American taxpayers uh, regardless of income. And that that's a really, it sends a really important signal about the importance of charitable giving and the need to ensure that our charitable organizations and our charitable sector as a whole is healthy and able to provide the, the, the services and meet the needs that are, that are tremendous that are out there in society. So that's our number one priority is getting uh, this uh, universal charitable deduction into law. Uh, and as you mentioned, getting it back into law. So as I talked about you know, we had this uh, universal charitable deduction, this $300, $600 deduction for non-itemizers in law through December 31st, 2021. And then, of course, Congress didn't act before the expiration at the end of last year. So right now we're in a situation where that deduction is no longer in the tax code and we're actively working uh, to pursue getting it back in, uh, renewing it and also expanding the deduction. So we're fortunate to have bipartisan legislation in both the Senate and the House called the Universal Giving Pandemic Response and Recovery Act. It's a mouthful. But uh, this legislation, um, it's S-16 in the Senate, H.R. 1704 in the House. Uh, it would renew uh, the temporary charitable, universal charitable deduction. It would put it back into place through 2022. It would ensure uh, that it would also expand it from being $300 and $600 to actually more substantial 
$4,000, up to $4,000 for individuals and $8,000 for joint filers. And again, the higher that level that you, the incentive, the more that encourages more giving. So having a higher cap than just the modest 300, 600 would incentivize more giving by non-itemizers. We're certainly grateful the bipartisan support we've had uh, for the bill, uh, including uh, you know on the Senate side, Senator Langford from Oklahoma, Republican, Senator Chris Coons from a Democrat from Delaware, um, leading the charge on the Senate side and on the House side, uh, Representative Chris Pappas, a Democrat from New Hampshire, and Representative Jackie Walorski, Republican um, from Indiana, um, really helping us lead those efforts. So our focus has been, how can we get this renewed and again, expanded? And I think it speaks directly to the ability for us to continue to increase that participation number. Um, having an incentive there, sending that signal, will encourage more Americans, hopefully, to give even more uh, to charitable organizations during these challenging times. That's great. And I know that there's been, you know, a good deal of sector support for both of these pieces of legislation. And, you know, we'll see what's in store for the for the remainder of the year. So, again, looking looking towards the end of the year, we're in the last year of the 117th Congress. With midterm elections in November and tight majorities in both the House and the Senate, do you expect legislation that impacts um, individual giving, in particular the universal charitable deduction, to gain any traction and potentially move through Congress by the end of the year? Let's start with the good news. The good news is, as I said, we have great bipartisan support for the universal charitable deduction, for the bill, for the Universal Giving Pandemic Response Recovery Act. We have on both sides of the aisle, we've got for building, continue to build strong support. And generally speaking, overall, if you uh, if you look at Congress, there's support generally for the charitable deduction and certainly support for expanding it and providing that incentive beyond just to itemizers. So we start in a good place uh, from that perspective. The challenge is election years are always difficult for enacting major legislation because parties, both parties are trying to accentuate differences in an election year. And it's just harder to really do big things together in a bipartisan fashion, unless there's just such overwhelming bipartisan support. And in the tax world, it's pretty much been a, uh, a partisan game over the past few years, whether you're talking about Republicans or Democrats, they have very different philosophies when it comes to tax policy. And the bills that they've enacted, starting with, of course, the Tax Cuts and Job Act, that was done fully with only Republican support using special rules that allowed them to do that. And in the current debate, some of the tax changes Democrats have been talking about are using those same rules on the other side to do things, are attempting to do things that they would like to see happen on the tax side. So I wish I could say that I'm optimistic that we'll see a renewal uh, and expansion of the universal chair reduction early this year. But the most likely scenario sees this potentially being pushed all the way to after the November midterm elections, just because of the, the environment right now up on Capitol Hill. And typically, when you have broad, broad bipartisan tax legislation and what, what in the Beltway we call uh, tax provisions that have been expired and need to be extended, they're taken up after you get through the election and, and both parties and both sides can come together and get those done. What I will say is there's a small chance um, that um, in the current conversation right now, uh, Congress still has to pass uh, funding for FY, uh, for FY22, so fiscal year 2022 for the federal government. And they've, they're right now considering uh, another uh, short-term extension of current funding levels through March. But while they put together what's called an omnibus appropriations bill, there is a chance they might attach some pandemic relief. Now, that's a small chance. Uh, there's a lot of disagreement between the parties, and it would have to be bipartisan on what would be included in such pandemic relief. But if there is any opportunity there, we're certainly not sitting back as a charitable giving coalition. We're continuing to urge Congress to make this a priority to enact this. And of course, with any charitable giving incentive, 
it only works if it's in law because you know our organizations as they go out and talk to donors they can't tell them well we think this will be enacted retroactively that's not a it's not really a possibility we need to actually have the incentive in place so that we can then go out and talk to donors about obviously benefiting from the incentive and using that to incentivize giving. So, you know, if we have the opportunity, if the opportunity opens, we'll certainly take it. And the, certainly the Charitable Giving Coalition is going to be talking more and more and more visibly about the importance of getting this provision back uh, into the code so that we can generate more giving for our organizations. That's great. So I'm going to have you put your case hat on for a moment. Um, and so what trends is case seeing in giving to education that would be of interest to not only BlackBod's education customers, higher ed, private K-12 schools, but also other nonprofit organizations? Well, it's, it's a great question. It's something that we think about, obviously, a lot at Case, and we're always we're focused on, uh, where we uh, have the benefit of um, having the survey that really provides, uh, called the Voluntary Supportive Education Survey, which really provides kind of the definitive data on giving to uh, colleges and universities and schools in the U.S. We also have a lot of global data as well, but we're focused on the U.S. here. What I would say in terms of trends that we've seen both from the Voluntary Support of Education Survey and also from some of the other data sources, including some of them that BlackBod put together along with um, also Giving USA and others, you know, we've definitely seen a growth in uh, donor advised funds and giving through donor advised funds. If you think about what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act incentivized, uh, again, if you're in that non-itemizing category or you were an itemizer, you jumped to non-itemizing, you could see where, um, you know, doing something that's known as bundling, where you just make a one big gift in one year and, be an, and, and essentially are an itemizer one year, and then you distribute that money out over time is a, you know, effective strategy in this circumstance. And donor advised funds are a way to do that. You make a big gift, create a donor advised fund in year in one year, you make your big gift, then you distribute out from, you know, advise the charitable organizations distributing out your donor advised fund where you want funds to go over the next few years after that. It's just a, it's a way to, to be able to benefit from the charitable giving incentive, but not give every year and then, you know, and benefit from every year versus, you know, just giving one year. So from that perspective, the growth of donor advised funds is certainly a trend in our uh, voluntary support of education. So our most recent data, we saw a 7% increase in giving to college universities from donor advised funds. And it's just going to continue, I think, to be a very, I should say, 7% increase from giving from other organizations, donor advised funds being about 70% of that giving. But it's just going to continue to be, I think, a trend that's growing. And obviously, it's also gathered some attention on Capitol Hill and focus. But uh, that's certainly one trend that we've seen. Um, I think you've also continued to see a continued emphasis and the continued importance of campaigns and comprehensive fundraising campaigns to educational institutions. They're just continue to be critical. Um, some institutions during the pandemic had to either pause, lengthen, maybe change some of the focus of their campaigns. But the real tried and true benefits of having a campaign strategy and a fundraising campaign at institutions continues to be the direction where we see most institutions going and one that we certainly continue to gather data on at Case. I think you're also starting to see a lot more. Uh, and this has become what was started as a trend, I think, is now almost an expectation of seeing giving days um, happen, um, whether they're tied directly to some of the larger national giving days like Giving Tuesday. But a lot of institutions are actually creating their own giving days, um, picking a day out of the year where they can be the focus and they can focus on their alumni community. They can focus on their uh, key volunteers and stakeholders and really bring a lot of attention and also get their students and faculty and others involved in uh, in the giving as well. So we've seen a lot of increase in focus and interest in giving days. And that's a great way to broaden participation 
uh, of your donor base um, as well and bring some more, uh, more broad-based participation of donors to your institution. The only other thing I'll mention that's uh, also a trend, but something we're really focused on at Case is we just introduced our the inaugural edition of our Case Global Reporting Standards, which are the standards for the advancement profession, and they're global, so they're the first time they're global ever. But from a fundraising perspective, they really guide how institutions should count gifts. They kind of provide the rules of the road and guidance on how uh, colleges, universities, and schools should count gifts, and also include you know, some obviously ethical standards and principles of practice, which are critical for the field. Uh, but we think the standards over time are going to continue to be game changers for the profession and actually help us get better, more accurate data on giving to educational institutions. And while at the same time promoting that ethical practice in giving and also just get us better data and better benchmarking across institutions, which will give us a better sense of the trends that I talked about earlier, like more giving from donor advised funds and others. So um, we're really excited that global reporting standards are out there and have been talking quite a bit about that with our members and think that will, again, be a game changer for the profession. Wonderful. What a great amount of information for our listeners as we move forward into 2022 and as they think about how they approach 2022, their relationship with their donors, their campaigns, um, and other actions to support their organizations. So before I let you go, do you have a call of action for our listeners today? Well, I always have a call for action. Anybody good in government relations and legislation and advocacy know that you should always have a call uh, of action. But uh, we talked a lot about the uh, Universal Giving Pandemic Response and Recovery Act. So my call to action to listeners and others who are interested in this is encouraging Congress to renew and expand the universal charitable deduction by supporting S618 and HR 1704 and uh, asking your local lawmakers not only to, to uh, vocally support it, but also sign on as co-sponsors of the bills. It's a great way to show strong bipartisan support for ensuring that we have a charitable giving incentive for all Americans. Uh, and the more we can show that strong support, uh, strong bipartisan support and build up that support, the better our chances for renewing and expanding the deduction. And of course, we want that to happen sooner rather than later. Great. Thanks, Brian. And to all our listeners out there, we plan to host a quarterly podcast that's going to focus on policy issues impacting the sector. So I encourage you all to look for our next podcast, which should be coming out some point in the next three or so months. But in the meantime, Brian, thanks again for joining me today. And to our listeners, thanks so much for for participating. We hope you found this um, informational and helpful, and we'll see you or hear you next time. Thanks again.